You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Well, good morning. Do you feel the joy of the Lord in this place? Is it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Well, uh, before we dive into our passage this morning, uh, I want to take a moment to give a quick update on the Garden of Hope and the work that's been going on across the street. We're starting to get into the fun part of the season where we've begun harvesting some of the vegetables that were planted in the spring. Uh, Some of you have already been over to the garden and have tasted some of the hard work that's been going on over there, to which I would like to say thank you. I was talking with one of the ladies this week while we were out uh, weeding and watering. And uh, she was telling me about how, well, these were actually some of her least favorite activities to perform out in the garden. You know, it's fun and exciting when you're out planting seeds and thinking about the potential that these tiny seeds will produce. And it's even more exciting to harvest tomatoes from a plant that was planted as a seedling with just a couple of leaves. But all of the hard work comes in between these two things, right? as you learn to care for and nurture these plants. And that means giving yourself to watering on hot, humid days and getting down on your hands and knees to clear out weeds. And despite all of these being difficult and monotonous tasks, she was talking about how the consistency and care that you develop in giving yourself to the difficult work day in and day out has the capacity to spill into other areas of your lives. It teaches you that anything worthwhile requires commitment. Anything that's worthwhile requires care and it requires perseverance and giving yourself greater to something than just you. This is why the ladies of Andrew's house and the volunteers that have worked hard to support them are so proud to offer the produce that they've worked so diligently towards cultivating. So this morning after the service, the ladies from Andrew's house have uh, actually have the counter set up in the lobby and will be selling some of their produce and flower arrangements from the garden. If you're looking for some of the freshest food you can get, we'd encourage you to visit the counter after the service. All of the proceeds from these vegetables go back into making the Garden of Hope a sustainable place of consistent ministry and employment for the ladies. It is tasty, It is nutritious, it is fresh, and I would never want to discourage you from the habit of regular prayer, but it is also (laughs) pre-blessed. So take care of some of your grocery shopping after the service and help support the ministry of the Garden of Hope and the work that these ladies are doing. Is it hard to believe that we're already nearing the end of summer? I think the Allen County Fair kicks off a a little bit later this week, is that right? Yeah, which means that uh, for most students, school will be starting back up here in a couple weeks. Before long, we'll all be getting into the rhythms and routines of the fall. And with that, the changing weather and the cooler days and this inescapable feeling that for a season, everything will be flavored in pumpkin spice. (laughs) But before we get too far ahead of ourselves... We take in these last few weeks of summer, and what that means for us this week, today, this morning, is that we're going to be spending some time in our last passage of Ephesians as we approach the end of our summer sermon series. So we're going to dive right in. If you're looking to follow along in your Bibles, then I'd have you turn to Ephesians chapter 6. 
Our reading today will begin in verse 10. We'll be reading through verse 20. If you don't have your Bibles with you, then you can follow along up here on the screens. This is Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore... And fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. Now, for myself and for those who spent our childhood in the church, this is one of those passages that has not only lodged itself into our scriptural memories, but also has very visceral and tactile memories associated with it. When I think about this passage in Ephesians, the armor of God, I think about that silver and bronze flimsy plastic armor that every Sunday school and VBS in the world seem to have. Um, for those of you who may not be familiar, I think we have a, a picture of it up on the screen. Oh, yeah. It had that Romanesque helmet that was far from one size fits all that if you were to wear for more than 60 seconds would give you a headache that would last well through snack time. And that breastplate that never failed to have at least one broken plastic strap, meaning that you could never quite fasten it the way that you needed to. Or that flimsy hollow sword whose structural integrity you would put to the test whenever the teacher wasn't looking. Now, I imagine that many, if not most of us here, are familiar with Paul's writing of the armor of God. Likely, we grew up having learned about it in Sunday school, and as is often the case, the things that we are most familiar with have the capacity to become the things that we maybe neglect to continue exploring, we neglect to continue examining. So this morning, we're gonna spend some time re-examining this familiar passage. Uh, So we're gonna take a a look at uh, our first few verses again. This is 10 through 12, and Paul writes, "'Finally, be strong in the Lord "'and in the strength of his power.'" Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Ephesians is a pretty short book because technically speaking, it's not really a book. It's a letter. It wasn't meant to read like a novel. Paul is writing a relatively short and practical letter to the church in Ephesus, much of which revolves around family and community dynamics in the new creation. I think that Paul is trying to address the question of how the church ought to behave and relate in the new establishment of the kingdom of God. 
So naturally, he's talking about very practical matters of worship and family and ethics. But when we arrive at this last passage, the tone takes a significant turn as Paul writes about the spiritual realm. He writes about warfare. He writes about fighting against our enemies. So much of Paul's writing in Ephesians is given to maintaining unity and bringing about a peaceful kingdom. And then here at the end of his letter, Paul reminds us that violence is a reality for which we must prepare ourselves. The threat of violence and warfare is so present that Paul implores the church to be ready to stand firm in battle. So I think that an important question to be asking is, then who is our enemy? Well, Paul makes this pretty clear as well. He writes, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you spend much time thinking about the heavenly places? Do you spend much time thinking about how reality is not just physical or material, but that we also live in a spiritual existence? In many ways, our thinking has been influenced by the Enlightenment. That is to say that we have been shaped by science and reason, trying to account for and rationalize a physical existence by observing the material and physical world. The problem is that culturally we've followed this school of thought, but it can't account for the reality of the spiritual world. And Paul says that our primary adversary is not flesh and blood, is not a physically embodied adversary, but rather an adversary who commands the spiritual forces of evil. Now, I think that this alone is a compelling thought, that as Paul urges us towards unity with one another, he reminds us that our adversaries, our enemies, are not flesh and blood. As easy as it may be to give a face and a name to the people that we like to think are the problems in the world, Paul tells us that we might be barking up the wrong tree. And this is just my commentary here, but it's possible that when we dehumanize and demonize those who have been made in the image of God even those people that maybe we don't like or that we know for a fact are wrong, we may just be participating in the work of the adversary. So Paul reminds us that our true enemy dwells in the realm of the spirit commanding the forces of evil. And I think that we give quite a bit of thought to the things that threaten our physical existence. In fact, I wonder if we don't spend too much time fantasizing about these threats and order our lives based on these worst-case scenarios. It would seem that the low-hanging fruit of at least the last couple years has been rice, beans, and toilet paper, right? We imagine the threat of scarcity. We imagine the threat of physical violence, the scenarios that could possibly threaten our physical existence, and we respond based on the potential of that perceived threat. And the manner in which we order our lives based on the threat of our physical existence is also manifested in our homes. Between the locked doors, the high fences, the safety shelters, and the variety of artillery that is the modern fortress of our homes, it's not difficult to see how the threat of physical, of physical violence is perpetually on the forefront of our minds. 
And this isn't inherently a bad thing, but Paul, who has made a habit of writing to the church from prison, doesn't seem as concerned with the threat of our physical existence as he does the threat and the integrity of our spiritual existence. And so as he concludes his letter to the Gentile Christians in Ephesus, his parting words are not a warning to guard against the threat of physical violence or even to arm the church against warring ideologies that the hostile Romans are spreading all over Facebook and Twitter. Paul's charge to the church is that our mission is to be the embodiment of the unifying gospel of peace and that our war is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. So Paul gives his readers the tools with which to stand against the enemy, and we're going to kind of rapid fire make our way through them. So he writes, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As Paul writes these concluding remarks to the church in Ephesus, I think it's helpful to keep in mind that he's not so much offering new ideas, rather he's reiterating what he's already shared and is challenging his readers to clothe or to armor themselves in these teachings. So when Paul tells us to fasten the belt of truth around us, we're reminded of what he wrote earlier in his letter in Ephesians. This is chapter four, verse 25. He writes, so then putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors for we are members of one another. So several weeks ago, Jonathan talked about this particular passage and reminded us that we are members of one another. That is, we are members of the body of Christ, members of the community of the triune God. And this requires that we speak the truth. And this is the first thing that Paul tells us that we ought to clothe ourselves with. We ought to take up the belt of truth. And we typically think of maybe telling a lie as the opposite of speaking the truth. But I think that often the opposite of speaking the truth is silence. It's not saying anything. Because maybe if you're anything like me, the temptation is to avoid confrontation rather than upset your status quo. But in Christian community, we ought to have both the courage to speak the truth and the humility to hear the truth. So fasten the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Do we have any saints in the church that can testify to lives of righteousness? Are there those in the room that can testify to the power of God moving in the lives of those who walk in faithful obedience? If we do, would you say amen? Amen. 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 A few verses later in Ephesians chapter four, Paul says, do not make room for the devil. And I think the devil lurks in the shadows of decisions that are made in disobedience. Decisions that are made in opposition to God's desires for us. Paul is calling us to put on righteousness and to put away those things that threaten our integrity. He continues, as shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Uh, again, Paul takes us back to his earlier teaching in Ephesians 4, where he writes, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The good news of the gospel is that Christ comes establishing a peaceful kingdom, a kingdom in which all things are being redeemed. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Paul commands the church to clothe themselves in whatever will mobilize them to make them agents of the kingdom of God. He says, ready yourself for the movement of the new creation. Ready yourself for the movement of peace. Ready yourself for the movement of God's love because you are the movement of the good news in the world. Paul continues, with all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I think that often we think of faith as maybe synonymous with belief or that which we know to be true and hold on to. But I think that faith also has an element of commitment. Um, To be faithful is to say, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, I'm not going anywhere. This is faith practiced in the context of our friendships. This is faith practiced in the context of our marriages. This is faith practiced in the context of our church community. No matter what happens, I'm not going anywhere. Paul continues, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Paul commands that we put on the helmet of salvation. And as uh, Justin challenged us last week, we are reminded that salvation too is the mark of covenant relationship. Paul says, guard yourself with the covenant relationship that has delivered you from the death of your old ways, the ways that led to destruction. And finally, arm yourself with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The fact of the matter is that spiritual violence is a reality in which we are under constant threat. And Paul implores the church to take up the discernment of the spirit that we might know the movement of the word of God. So to bring them all together, we have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, whichever footwear makes you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And as we come to the end of the book of Ephesians, we're reminded that Paul is instructing the church just how it is they are to be the church. Throughout this letter, Paul is instructing the Ephesians on how to be and how not to be and what it is to live as the unified body of Christ. As we take off our old ways, we clothe ourselves with Christ. We clothe ourselves in the armor of God. Earlier in his letter, Paul writes, you were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The good news that Paul brings us is that Christ has given us the power to overcome Though the armor of God may be a metaphor, the reality is that the powers of evil that mean to do us harm and keep us captive to our old ways no longer have the power they once did because we are now clothed in Christ and in the power of God. 
And this is a radical and hopefully empowering idea that through Christ and the power of the Spirit at work within us, we have been given the power to overcome the forces of evil in the world. We have been given the power to break the chains of bondage that once had power over our old selves. So I think that a helpful question to be asking is, practically speaking, what does it mean to put on the armor of God? And throughout the letter of Ephesians, Paul responds, put away your former life. He says, your old self was corrupt and deluded by its lusts. Put away those things. Take off your old clothes and put on your new self. Clothe yourselves in the power of God that is truth, the power of God that is righteousness, peace, salvation, and the discernment of the spirit. And maybe that means starting to get as serious about the threat of physical violence, of, of spiritual violence, as we are the threat of physical violence. Maybe this means that in the same way we lock the doors to our homes in an effort to guard against intrusion, we ought to also guard against those things in our homes that can affect our spiritual well-being. Maybe putting on the armor of God is also guarding against the intrusion in our homes of the things that do not lead us closer to God, that don't lead us to the truth, that don't lead us to righteousness, peace, salvation, and a sensitivity to the spirit. I wonder if we need to be thinking more critically about how the messages on our screens are affecting our spiritual formation. Maybe the armor of God is teaching us to be thinking more critically about the things that we do and do not watch and consume. And listen, I get it. We're probably living in the golden age of television where Netflix, HBO, and Amazon are putting out more content than they ever have. But bear in mind that the images that we allow into our homes communicate something about the reality that we're content with. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, listen, this is actually a great show. You just have to put up with a handful of explicit scenes. The integrity of your spirit is more important than the junk TV that everyone else at the office may be talking about. We've been called to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Maybe the armor of God is teaching us to be thinking more critically about the social media habits that we do and do not participate in. If you feel a constant unrest and anxiety in your spirit, it's possible that your spirit is merely reflecting the unrelenting frenzy of your newsfeed. And I realize this might sound a little mystical, but I think the things that we allow into our homes have the capacity to shape the spirit of our homes. There's a world in which our homes are a place of sanctuary. There's a world in which our homes are a place of sanct sanctity, a place in which you feel the holiness, the peace, and the power of God at work. But there's also a world in which, if we're not mindful, our homes become places of mindless consumption. Our homes become places of frenzy and chaos, a place that is void of the Spirit of God. So Paul says... 
Take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So maybe the question I'd be challenging you with this week is, as God is calling you to clothe yourself in his power, what might be the things he's calling you to put away? How is God calling you to guard yourself and your home against the works of the adversary? My prayer for us this week is that we be mindful of what it is to be clothed in the power of Christ. That we would be reflective on what it is that Christ, through the power of the Spirit, is calling us to put away and lay down. And furthermore, what Christ is calling us to put on. If you've heard truth this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to have you stand and we're going to pray together before dismissing. God, this day we're thankful and we're grateful for the gift of life. We're grateful that your spirit is empowering us, that your spirit is calling us to a deeper place. Would you give us the power to clothe ourselves in your word? Would you give us the strength and the courage to put off our old selves, to recognize that you are calling us to a deeper place? Give us the strength to be transformed to know you, to be known by you. Teach us what it is to live with your armor. Would you help us to fix our eyes on that which is meaningful? Would you help make us aware of the spiritual reality that we live in? Would you make us more like you, we pray? We love you. We pray this all in your holy name. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.